You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. The book of John, chapter 17. The book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 17, starting in verse 20. John 17, 20. This is Jesus' prayer uh, at the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prays, for, uh, he prays for his disciples, he prays for himself, and then he begins a prayer praying for all believers. And that's the part I'm going to read right now, because it's about unity. And we're going to talk about something this morning that often divides churches. So th- let this verse um, lead the way in, into the discussion. And it says this, John seventeen twenty. Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about the disciples. I pray also for all those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them, that's all of us, may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for your, your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we invite you here to, to teach us, to show us who you are, to give us your gifts. God, as we talk about charismatic, uh, that, that word meaning gifts, God, we ask that you will give us gifts, that you will open us up to new things, you will show us new things. God, I pray that you will break down any walls of misunderstanding and just let us be one in your glory. Let us be unified for your glory, for your name, Jesus. And everybody screamed, Amen. Amen. It's often fun to make fun of other denominations, don't you think? <laughs> Make fun of the, uh, the frozen chosen Presbyterians, the liberal Lutherans, the Bible-beating Baptists. It's fun, but it can often lead to uh, bad feelings, stereotypes, people throwing mud back and forth at each other, whereas we are all called to be Christians. We are called to be in unity. And so I have an example of two people. They each wrote books. Um, they are both pastoring pretty big churches. We'd call them mega churches in Los Angeles. They're only a few blocks. The churches are only a few blocks from each other. And so they're in the same town. They're in Sun Valley, California, in Los Angeles. And they are probably the polar opposite types of churches um, you can ever find. The first church is uh, called Grace Community, and that church is, the senior pastor is John MacArthur, and uh, John MacArthur wrote this book, which I'll, I'll hold up. It says, Charismatic Chaos. And so John MacArthur, I, I respect him a lot. I, I often watch his sermons on YouTube uh, and go to his website. He's an amazing speaker. But he is, he is under the impression that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the signed gifts of the Holy Spirit, ceased, stopped 
in the apostolic age. And so he wrote a book called Charismatic Chaos, in which he tells stories about how the charismatic church is chaotic, they do uh, things poorly, and their theology is off, etc., etc. It's a pretty big book, if you could see it from back there. It's about how charismatics are chaotic. And in, in that same town, a few blocks down the road, is another church founded by a guy named Jack Hayford, and that church is called Church on the Way. And uh, I'm familiar with that church as well. I've been to that church. Jack Hayford wrote a book. Uh, he wrote this book. It's called Living the Spirit-Formed Life. Uh, he's got other books about being spirit-filled. Jack Hayford, um, if you don't know him or know his writings, he coined the term, kind of, we, we're, we kind of accredit him for the term spirit-filled. If, like a spirit-filled person, if you, if you use that in conversation, like, oh, are they spirit-filled? Are you spirit-filled? Meaning, are, do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in the gifts for today? He kind of coined that term. And he, he even wrote a book uh, called, uh, what was it called? The Beauty of the Spiritual Language. A whole book about how speaking in tongues is really cool. And so you would think that charismatic chaos guy, John MacArthur, has his church in the same city as Uh, Jack Hayford, that these two guys would be like fighting all the time and like hating each other and making commercials about how the other person is horrible. Like kind of like in the political arena when two people are running against each other, they just keep like, like, it's like, oh, they're horrible. They do horrible things. They're, they're horrible people. They're bad. And, and you would think that that would be the case since they disagree so heavily on the, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, whether they are for today or not for today. But to the glory of God, these two guys have nothing but good things to say about each other. I've heard Jack Hayford speak very highly of John MacArthur and his teaching and, and his church. They, they have lunch. They have meetings. They hang out with each other. They uh, have been asked to speak at each other's churches and a conference. And I'm sure they kind of preface the talk like, don't be speaking in tongues at my conference. But, but they say... <laughs> I'm sure that there's a preface to their to their what what you can talk about when you come to our church. But isn't it cool that they can figuratively hold hands in unity and say, "There's much bigger things. Jesus is Lord. Salvation comes through Him alone." And they and they both believe that. As Christians, we all believe that. And they could push aside some of the non-foundational beliefs. Isn't that cool? I think that's really cool. And you don't see that a lot. You you often see churches divide over the simplest things. Like, oh, they do worship before the sermon. They do sermon before the worship. They're Satanists. They do it the wrong way. Like, why do we do that as Christians? It's so easy to to make fun of other denominations, make fun of uh, people doing things differently than us, or to say that, oh, that church, it's such a bad church. They they don't raise their hands in worship. It's a dead church. Like, no, they, they love Jesus. They worship Jesus. Raising hands isn't the foundational issue. Jesus is. So with that preface in mind, we are going to talk about um, uh, charismatic versus non-charismatic beliefs today. Explain that. Talk about that. Hopefully it's, a, it's an important conversation that I can hopefully do well, present both sides well. That's what I mean by that. So we're talking about that today. Next week, we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The week after that, we are going to talk about a whole Sunday on the gift of tongues. And by the way, this Sunday, Brady Boyd, if so after, he, after we leave church and you get some more coffee, Brady Boyd is going to be speaking on the gift of tongues today in the main service. So it's kind of cool how there's these patterns and these uh, topics 
It's, I don't, it, seems, it, doesn't, it seems a little more than coincidence, like God is really showing new life something and breathing in his spiritual gifts right now as he wants the church to learn about them. So, anyways, uh, that's, that's, the, that's what's going to happen this month. If you're newish to the Mill Sunday School, if this is your first time, we have some visitor cards. You can pick one of these up. Uh, I think the tables all have them. And you could either bring it to me or to the nice people in the back uh, table as you leave, and we'll give you a CD uh, that has some sermons on it. I think it's just one sermon and a, a few different songs from the Mill Band. So that's just a little heads up if you're newish. So let's jump right in, shall we? All right. Let's look at the word. In your notes, it says, uh, what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And the word charisma, if you're taking notes, write down the word charisma, because that word in the Greek means gift. Charisma means gift in the Greek. And so like a gift, a gift is not something you, you normally need. It's, a gift is usually something that you want. A gift is um, let me put it this way. Let's imagine like a 10-year-old boy on Christmas morning. He's excited because he's been asking his parents for a remote control car, right? Does he need a remote control car? No, you don't need a remote control car. But imagine the boy's surprise if he's been telling his parents, I really want a remote control car. I just can't live without this little remote control car. I need it. Uh, and then his dad decides, I'm going to get my son something that he truly does need. And instead of the remote control car, on Christmas morning, the boy gets up, he runs uh, into the living room, and from under the tree, he pulls out this. Bread and water. (laughs) A gallon of water and a loaf of bread. And dad says, son, you don't really need that remote control car. But trust me, You're going to need bread and water. You can't live very long without food or water. And imagine the the child's surprise as he got uh, bread and water. He would be upset. He's like, Dad, in in 20 years, I'm going to need to go to a counselor to talk through this event that happened this morning. The kid would be dumbfounded. He's like, yeah, Dad, you're right. I don't need the remote control car. I do need the, the water and the bread, but... But come on, Dad. <laughs> and that, that's not what a gift... A gift is something that is exciting and surprising. And, and so, like the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I think people often get confused and say, oh, you, you have to have the gifts of the Holy Spirit or you're not saved. That's silly. I will, I will never say that unless I'm making fun of that kind of statement. Someone might say... Uh, <laughs> someone might say... You, you have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit or you're truly not saved. Some, I've heard people say that they've been told, that someone told them you have to speak in tongues or, you, or you, don't, you're, you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. And that is not at all how the gifts of the Holy Spirit work. Charisma means gift. And a gift is something awesome and exciting and you're excited to get. It's not like the bread and water on Christmas morning. The bread and water of, of Christianity is believing in Jesus, calling him Lord, uh, the, believing that the Bible is the word of God, putting your faith in Christ. That's the bread and water. That's what's needed for salvation. This morning we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and they are not needed for salvation. So I want to ask you a question um, and, and you get to discuss this. And if you're at a small table, you can, you can combine tables um, because the other slackers aren't here because they had to set their clocks forward and they did not. Um, 
<laughs> it's always funny, just on a side note, to like, to watch it. Like, so 10.30 will roll around and people will come in and they'll be like looking at their watch and just wondering what's going on. It's really funny to me. Anyways, uh, I want to give you a discussion question and it's kind of a contest and there will be a, a prize for your table. <laughs> To whoever can list, so at your table, uh, assign one person or volunteer yourself to be a scribe to write down as many spiritual gifts as you can. And, and right now, no Bibles, no Bibles, no cellular devices of any kind, no internet, just the knowledge that you have. Try to, try to remember, uh, from, they are listed in Scripture in a few different places, but you're not allowed to look at it yet. And so... On your mark, get set, go. All right, did you get a bunch? You got a bunch? All right, let's, let's find out who the winner is. Why don't everybody stand up? Everybody stand, and then we'll sit down if you have less or more than... Okay, so this is going to separate the boys from the men, the women from the girls. All right, s- sit down if you have uh, five or less gifts. Okay, okay, a few, a few tables. Sit down if you have ten or less. Oh, that was a lot. Alright, sit down if you have thirteen or less. Alright, we're getting down to it now. Sit down if you have fifteen or less. Oh, wow. The last two groups? How many do you guys have? How many? Sixteen, how many of you guys have? What? Twenty? Two zero? Twenty? Bill, will you deliver to them their reward? You have to share this as a table now. Bread and water. Twenty gifts? Wow. I, I had my Bible, and that's exactly how many I got. So it makes me wonder if someone was looking at their Bible. No? Okay. Just kidding. I didn't mean to. Just, just, just a goof. All right. If you're taking notes, I'm going to go over this quickly, so write it down. It may be something you want to go back to later. But the, the gifts are, the, the longest list of gifts listed is 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Write that down. You, you might want to look at that later. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. And here are all nine gifts listed uh, in that passage. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the gift of faith. Did anyone write that gift of faith? Did you get that one? The, the gift of healing. Did anybody get that one? The gift of miraculous powers. Anybody? No one got that one? The gift of prophecy. Did you get that one? Pro- 
the gift of distinguishing between spirits, the gift of tongues. Anybody get that one? The gift of interpreting tongues. And so that's the nine listed. That's the longest list we have in Scripture. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. And then in that same passage, excuse me, that same chapter, uh, later on, there's other gifts listed. First Corinthians, so write this one down as well. You might want to refer to this. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through, uh, excuse me, 27 through 28. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 28. Some of the gifts are listed again, but I'll just mention uh, the new ones, bringing us to a total of 13. The gift of, and you could, you could argue about, is this really a gift or is that really a title? The gift of apostleship, the gift of teaching, the gift of helping others, and the gift of administration. So that, that brings us to a total of 13 gifts. And you can't argue about, oh, is it apostleship? Is that really a gift? Or is that a title? Um, but I, I listed it as a gift. Anyways, <clears throat> so the next passage is Romans 12. Uh, Romans 12 lists the gifts. And it lists, lists some of the other gifts as well as a few more bringing us to 18. The gift of serving. The gift of encouraging. Did anybody get that one? encouraging, the gift of giving to others. The, and, and some people may argue that giving to others and helping others is the same gift, but it's kind of listed differently, so I've, I've listed it as a separate gift. So giving to others, the gift of leadership. Anybody get that one? And the gift of showing mercy. And then the other famous passage that lists, lists the gifts is Ephesians chapter 4. And this is the, the fivefold ministry. This is, but it says that uh, God gave them to be. And so I, I, I see it as a gifting. Uh, and there's, there's others that are listed like the teaching. And, uh, but the two more are listed bringing us to a grand total of 20. Uh, the gift of evangelism and the gift of pastoring. So I have all, those are the 20 that I have directly quoted in Scripture. But potentially, you have other gifts. Maybe at your type table, you talked about um, some, some other gifts. You listed them. And I would not cross them off if I was you. Here's why. Because there's four lists of gifts, and each one of those lists is a little different, that's, that to me says there could be other gifts. If, if there was four lists in the Bible, and every single time they were exactly the same, I would say, that oh, those are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But because each list is different, I would argue that potentially there's other gifts given from God that, uh, that, that are gifts of the Holy Spirit. For example, the gift of um, leading worship. I thought, that could be a gift that, that, in the way that the other gifts build up the rest of the church, build up the body. It's a talent or ability given to you to lift up the, the body. Uh, leading worship could be a gift. Maybe preaching could be a gift. And, and you'd say, oh, preaching is different than teaching. And I would kind of agree on that. So there can be other gifts besides just the gifts listed. So if you wrote down some other gifts, don't cross them off. So you got the gifts. Now, Let's talk about the gifts, because charismatic and non-charismatic churches believe, both of them believe in most of the gifts. A a non-charismatic church would say, oh, I believe in the gift of teaching, I believe in the gift of serving, showing mercy, the gift of leadership, etc. Where they draw a line is with some of the gifts that they would consider to be sign gifts. 
Gifts that act as a sign to authenticate the message. For instance, most cessationalists, to give you a big word that's fun to say, cessationalist, it's kind of fun to say, you want to say it? Cessationalists, most cessationalists believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the sign gifts, not all of the gifts, just the sign gifts, stopped at the, the apostolic age. And some will say that when, let's say, the last apostle died, then stopped the sign gifts of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they would say a sign gift like prophecy, speaking in tongues, miraculous healings, uh, miraculous power, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, those are sign gifts, and they stopped or they ceased with the apostolic age. And so in your notes is a brief outline. It says non-charismatic view, uh, and in parentheses, or that's not a parenthesis, that's a, what is that? A parenthesis? Is that what that is? Thank you. <laughs> Struggle up here sometimes. The parenthesis? Is that what it is? That sounds so funny to me. Parenthesis. Anyways, probably learned that in fourth grade. And the parenthesis, it says cessationalism. And then there's an outline of three different bullet points. A biblical argument, a historical argument, and a practical argument for the idea that the gift stopped at the apostolic age, or some cessationalists will say that the gift stopped when the Bible was canonized. And, and there, there's, there's an argument among cessationalists as to exactly when the gift stopped. But all of them, all cessationalists would say the gifts of the Holy Spirit at some point did stop and they are not here today as far as the sign gifts. And, and so we, let's go through that argument. By the way, I, I would disagree with this, and I think, I think I'll make that clear, but um, I, I respectfully disagree. I, I, I will try not to say anything slamming towards a cessationalist. I have many Baptist friends that are all cessationalists, and I have a high regard for them. I have a high respect for their faith, love that they love Jesus, and they read the Bible, and they are Christians. They just have a difference, and they say, I believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped, whereas I, as a charismatic pastor, would say the gifts have not stopped. And I think sometimes, just as a word of, I think sometimes as charismatics, we can just, you know, throw them into a basket or throw them all together and say, oh, they don't believe in the Holy Spirit. The Baptists don't believe in the Holy Spirit. And that's not true. Cessationalists believe in the Holy Spirit. They believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They just believe that the sign gifts have stopped. And so I would not, I would not flippantly ever say that, oh, they, they don't believe in the Holy Spirit. They do. Okay, let's go to the biblical arguments. I have two scriptures. You could write them down and really look at them later. Um, the first scripture that a cessationalist would use and say, the Bible says that uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit have stopped is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. And I'll read it for you. It says this. It says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, who he appointed heir of all things. And so you'd read that and say, well, well, a cessationalist would read that and say, well, I interpret this verse to mean that in the past, God spoke to our forefathers, but now he's speaking through Jesus. And he speaks through Jesus, and then there's this idea, this interpretation that, oh, after Jesus, there's no more, because he spoke to the forefathers through the prophets. 
He spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, and he no longer speaks through the forefathers. That's the, that's the cessationalist interpretation of that passage. However, I would respectfully disagree and say, that's Hebrews 1, chapter 1, verse 1. That's the first thing the author of this book is saying to his audience. I think he's just making a connection with the Jewish people and saying, listen, God spoke through the old prophets. He did, the Old Testament. He's, God spoke through that, and now he's speaking through Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. So that's how I would see that passage. So I, w- I would disagree with that interpretation, that this is saying the gifts of the Holy Spirit have stopped. But if you're talking to a cessationalist, if you are a cessationalist, um, you would probably want this scripture to be talked about, which is 1 Corinthians 13. This is the famous love passage that is read at every single wedding if it's not read at the wedding, then the wedding doesn't count. <laughs> Just kidding. First uh, Corinthians 13 is the marvelous, the very poetic um, verse about love and the awesomeness of love. And then in verse 8, so 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, it says this. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe your mom has knit this in something and then hung it on the wall. But it says, love never fails. That's kind of the ending of love is patient, it's kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. And then verse 8 says, it never fails. But then it says, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Uh, Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfection comes, the imperfection disappears. And so every cessationalist that I know interprets that passage as, look, Prophecies will cease, tongues will be stilled, and when the perfection comes. And so many cessationalists will say that this, the Word of God, the Holy Bible, is the perfection. That the sign gifts, the the miraculous powers of the apostles, Jesus, uh, Peter, John, Paul, doing miraculous things, showing miraculous signs, and then writing this book, that the sign was just to show that this book is the real deal, that the perfection has come, and now the imperfection, speaking in tongues and prophecy, uh, has gone away. We no longer need those things um, to authenticate the message. So that's the interpretation of this passage for our friends that are cessationalists. Now, I would disagree with that, and I would say, uh, I would say let's, let's reread the passage and it says that prophecies will cease, tongues will be stilled, but then it says knowledge will pass away. It's like, has knowledge passed away? Like tongues and like prophecies? That doesn't really make sense. And then it says, when the perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Has the perfection really come? Um, has, has, has it come so much so that, that knowledge has passed away? And, and I would say no to that. I would say that what Paul is talking about here is the age to come. That in heaven, in, in, at the resurrection, when there's no more death, that there's no more sin, that there won't be need, a need for, for passing on knowledge. There won't be a need for prophesying. There won't be a need for speaking in tongues. I mean, imagine yourself in heaven. And it says in Revelation that there's no temple for God himself will live and dwell with them. And so it's like, why, if God's right here, why would you be listening to someone 
prophesying, saying, here's what God told me. You, wouldn't you just turn around and say, I'm listening, God. He's right here. Why would I listen to you prophesy if, if I could have direct access to God himself? And so I, that's what I would say this passage is about, that, that in, the, in the resurrection, in heaven, for instance, we will not need to speak in tongues, nor will we need prophecy, nor will we need to pass around knowledge because God himself will be right there. That's the perfection that's coming. So anyways, that's my interpretation as I would disagree agree with a cessationalist argument, but hopefully I've given it some justice. Um, the next argument, if you're taking notes, is a historical argument. Historically, um, you would look in history, a cessationalist would look in history and say, look, we have all these firsthand accounts in the Bible of miraculous healings, people prophesying things, words of knowledge, etc. And then someone uh, giving a cessationalist argument could say, look, in history, those events have stopped. And if you look in history for any opinion, I think you'll find it. And so if you look hard enough, you will find lots of different things in history. You'll find lots of different opinions and people saying lots of different things. That's obvious. Augustine, St. Augustine, 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 tomato, tomato. He lived in the 400s and he said this, he said, uh, the Holy Ghost fell upon them that believed, and they spoke in tongues, which they had not learned, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And these were signs adapted to that time. And some cessationalists would say, look, Augustine here in the 400s is saying, um, the, the speaking in tongues were adapted to that time, and we could assume that it must not have been adapted to Augustine's time. Another example, in the Middle Ages, in the 1200s, 1265, Thomas Aquinas uh, many of you know him as a, as a really cool theologian. I like him a lot. He said, uh, prung, tongues is for preaching, therefore. Uh, nor does each one of the handful now speak save in one tongue, for no one speaks in the tongues of all nations because the church herself already speaks in the languages of all nations. Meaning, Thomas Aquinas says, oh, tongues doesn't exist today because now we have Christians that can speak lots of different languages in lots of different countries, and the gift isn't necessary because we have people that can speak in the gift of tongues, speak like, like Chinese. We have people, Christians in China that can speak Chinese. No need for the gift of tongues because we have people in China that can speak Chinese that are Christians. So that's kind of the argument. And I, and I would say... It's true that that's first-hand documented account of Augustine and Thomas Aquinas kind of, kind of hinting at they don't think tongues or the, some of the other sign gifts aren't around today. But using an argument like that is kind of like saying, making an argument about um, that, that, that there's no such thing. Like, like if I was to say, there's no one in here with the name Jim. And then someone in the back stands up and says, there's no gyms back here. And then someone at this table says, no gyms at this table. And then another person stands up and says, no gyms at this table. Can we really assume that there's no gyms? Guys or girls with the name Jim in the Mill Sunday School right now. And, and to assume that, we would have to ask every single person. And if just one person stood up and said, my name's Jim, then my theory about Jim's in Sunday school would be totally false. So, in history, if there are people in history saying, oh, I think the, the t gift of tongues, I think the sign gifts have ceased, I think they've ceased, uh, that's all fine and well until you can find just one. And by the way, we have lots of people in history saying, 
the, the, the sign gifts were still around, and I'll show you them in just a second. So, but that is the historical argument. There are historical evidences for people in history, like Augustine, who I respect, Thomas Aquinas, who I respect, saying that the, the signs were for an earlier time. But let's go to our next argument. The practical argument for the cessationalist is probably the best argument that they have. And it, I think it does us harm. Uh, let me just put it this way. I think the, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is often very poorly packaged. And so I have this book up here, which I already held up. The book, it's Charismatic Chaos by John MacArthur. I've read it. And I can tell you that um, there's a little bit of scripture. He, he refers to a little bit of scripture in here. He uh, gives a little bit of historical evidence for the gifts have ceased. And then the rest of this book, the, the mass majority of this book is about poor examples of charismatic Christians doing silly things, doing dumb things, doing uh, chaotic things in the name of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. For instance, he talks, he kind of, his preface of this, of the book is um, something that I think we as charismatics can learn from. He says that charismatics often have the tendency to test what is true with their experience instead of testing what is true with doctrine, with the word of God. And so he, he just gives example after example that are embarrassing, uh, like this guy that had a miracle coin um, worth actually nothing. It was actually made out of plastic. But he said, if you send him some money, he will send you this miracle coin and the miracle coin will give you, uh, will perform a financial miracle in your household. And so if you are like in debt, then you can like send this guy a check for a couple hundred dollars. He'll send you the coin. You put the coin in your house and then money cometh to you. Sounds like a good deal, actually. Might get one. <laughs> There's, the best one is, and let me find it. I'll just read it because I, it's hard to give it justice. Okay, he's, t- he's talking about an, an evangelist that would spit on people. And there's the story of Jesus spitting on the blind, or he spits in some mud and makes a, some mud, spits in the dirt, makes some mud, and then rubs it on a blind guy's eyes. And so this evangelist thought that was a good idea. So he'd, he'd spit in his hand and rub it on them. That's the way he ministered. If something was wrong with your head, he'd spit on his hand and rub it on your forehead. If you had stomach trouble, he'd spit on his hand and rub it on your, on your stomach. <laughs> Just imagine this going on at church. It'd be like, awesome. If he had something wrong with your knee, he'd spit on his hand and rub it on your knee. And, and so he'd just spit on everything. It's like, dude, this guy would be awesome. <laughs> it's like, man, I'll, <laughs> I won't spit on you. I was going to say I'd spit on you if you wanted me to, but that, that's just too much. I can't, I can't do that. I can't bring myself to do it. Um, um, other examples. He just get, there's, there's, there's tele-evangelist examples in here. It's just lots of examples of churches doing poor things in the name of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you have, have been told things that aren't necessarily true, have been thrown off or th- thrown under the bus with things like, oh, if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. Or if you don't uh, get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're not really saved. Or just dumb things like that. Or maybe some of you have grown up in churches or been to churches where there's so much pressure put on, say, for instance, speaking in tongues, that, that you know, you'll be brought in front of everyone and, and you'll, you'll be prayed for and then everyone will look at you and be like, come on, start speaking in tongues. And it's awkward and embarrassing and weird. And that's not, I don't think that those kinds of pressures are meant to be put on the gifts. 
The gifts are what, it, I mean, a gift is something nice. It's like, here's a gift. It's awesome. It's cool. Of course I want it. That's the attitude that I think we should have with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So that, that's the argument. And, and that is, I think, the biggest argument for why churches do not embrace the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's because it's weird, because it can lead to, to chaos. And, and Paul in Corinthians speaks so highly speaks so negatively against churches that are chaotic. And so a church deciding, you know, what they want to do. Do we want to believe in prophecy and the gift of tongues? A church may decide, nah, that's not really, that's just not part of why, what we believe, and we want to come to church and get all crazy and chaotic. Let's not do that. So I understand that argument, the practical argument for the cessationalist. But now, with the time that we have left, I want to try to develop the charismatic view. Hopefully I have been as along the way, but th- this is the view of New Life Church, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today, that there was not a time in history when the gifts ceased, that we can still right now pray for miracles. We can still right now try to listen to God so much so that we can prophesy over people and speak good things over people, that we can speak in tongues, for instance, that that is a gift or a spiritual language. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a couple Sundays. But uh, here's, here's the biblical argument. Um, well, I, I should preface it with this. There, there's a book called Surprised by the Holy Spirit. Anybody familiar with that book? Surprised by the Holy Spirit by Jack Deere. And he, he wrote, he gives the argument, and he says that if you, if you locked someone in a room and gave them a Bible, like a newly believing Christian, you locked them in a room with a Bible, all they had was the Bible, he, he says that you, you, they would never come to the conclusion that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. It's only by experience that someone comes to that conclusion. It's only by experience hearing from other people saying, yeah, I've never experienced a miracle. I guess it just doesn't happen anymore. You would come to that argument. You would come to that conclusion only by experience, not from the Bible. For instance, um, in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verse 39, it says, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid the speaking in tongues. A very clear directive saying, do not forbid the speaking in tongues. And that's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and Paul is, I don't know that he would word it this way, but he doesn't say, don't forget, forbid the speaking in tongues. However, an age is coming where you'll have to forbid the speaking in tongues because they won't exist anymore. It, it doesn't say that. I'm not sure that it would, but it doesn't. First uh, Corinthians 14 just says, follow the way of love. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. I mean, the biblical argument for the side of the gifts are still around for today, I think is abundantly clear if you just read the New Testament and see all of the gifts being administered, people being healed, people being prophesied over, the gift of tongues being used. It's in the Bible. Therefore, you'd really have to do some bending of Scripture, in my opinion, to say that they ceased at some point. Furthermore, the historical argument just like uh, the argument of the gyms, if there's one gym in here and he stands up and says, my name's Jim, then the statement, there's no gyms in here, would be false. Same, same so with the evidence, historical evidence of, of people in history saying the gifts are still around. For example, on the back of your skillet, on the back of your notes, it is a quote by a guy named Justin Martyr, and he got the last name Martyr uh, because he actually died as a martyr, and his name was Justin, and they, I guess they didn't do last names back then, so they just called him Martyr, and he's pretty famous as an early church father, and he lived at 150 AD. He probably said this statement somewhere right around there, and 150 AD is, is a pretty important date because 
We think that John, the, the, John the Beloved, the author of Revelation, the author of the book of John, that he wrote, uh, he wrote those books, that he was the last to die as far as the apostles. And he probably died in the year 100 A.D. And here we have a guy named Justin Martyr in 150 A.D. saying that the prophetic gifts uh, are still around. So that kind of makes me think, huh, if they were still around then, after the, the apostles had all died. I mean, 150 A.D., the, the, uh, an apostle would be like 170 years old if he was still alive. So the argument that the, 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 the gifts of the Holy Spirit died with the apostles is not true. Because Justin Martyr in history says, For the prophetic gifts remain with us even to this present time, 150-ish A.D. Furthermore, other examples are... Uh, a guy you all know and love. We're, we're uh, celebrating his holiday this Wednesday, St. Patty's Day. That's the reason for the little clover up here. Isn't that precious? And uh, uh, so we always think St. Patty's Day is about pinching each other and wearing green. But uh, St. Patrick was a really cool dude. He was not Irish, by the way. I heard someone say, like, like is that true? Yeah, well, is St. Patrick Irish? And he's like, Actually, that doesn't work because he wasn't Irish. He was Scottish. He was born in Scotland. And the story is that raiders from Ireland, these warrior tribe, Celtic, they, they would fight naked. And they, they were just like bad people. <laughs> they were pagans. And they're not good. They, would, they came over to Scotland. They, they kidnapped a bunch of people. One of them was Little Paddy. And Little Paddy uh, goes over to Ireland. He becomes an Irish slave. He's, so he's Scottish, but he's a slave. And then he gets free somehow, goes back to Scotland, but then has visions, has dreams. In one particular vision, he says that uh, he records hearing a strange language being prayed by the Holy Spirit in his dream. And so St. Patrick, familiar with dreams, familiar with miracles, he has this one dream in which he believes that Ireland is calling him back to go and preach. And so little St. Patrick I guess he's not a saint yet. Little Patrick goes over to Ireland and he uses such things. The tradition is he uses such things as a three-leaf clover, uh, an item held as regard amongst the pagan Irish. And he explains the Trinity using the, the three-leaf clover. And what's so amazing is that Ireland was unreached. It didn't have any Christians in it. Yet by the time Patrick died, Ireland was overwhelmingly Christian. It was the majority religion in Ireland after St. Patrick goes over there. And so that's, that's reason to celebrate this Wednesday and wear green, don't you think? Yeah, whatever. Uh, furthermore, so uh, we got St. Patrick, we got uh, Justin Martyr, we got the Moravians we, that, that, that grew in the prophetic gifts. We have the early Quakers who would, uh, in their meetings in the 1600s, they would, they would carry out the, the spiritual gifts. They totally believed in them. And um, if you want just more proof for this, the idea that someone to become a saint in the Catholic Church, they saint people, and it's, it's just a way of honoring them and giving them respect and calling them a saint. There's, there's uh, some things they have to do to become a saint, and one of those things. So the Catholic Church has, has rewarded thousands upon thousands of people as being a saint. And to, to be a saint, one of the things you have to do is there has to be some sort of miraculous event surrounding the saint. 
So therefore, throughout history, the Catholic Church has been sainting people since uh, at least 100 AD. Before that, I mean, the, the Peter's Saint Peter, he, he lived before that. So they've been sainting people for a very long time, and there has to be at least one miracle surrounding the saint. So we have on record, via the Catholic Church, lots and lots of miraculous things happening. So to say in history that the gift stopped, and, and to point to a date and say, oh, look, this clear date in history, we don't see any more any more gifts of the Holy Spirit is just not there. So that's the historical argument. Finally, the last argument is the practical argument for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, including the sign gifts, still being around today, is that, um, well, we hear about a lot of miracles happening. I know I do. I know that I pray for people that are sick and, and pray that they'll get well. I know that I've heard testimonies of people, miraculous testimonies of people being healed. I've, I've seen and had people prophesy over me, meaning they've, they've spoken things that they couldn't have known otherwise except God-given ability. I know that I can tell you that I speak in tongues. And so to say, to say that the gifts have all stopped is like, well, then what, what am I doing? Like, what, what's this prophetic gift? Why, did this person not get healed? Or they, are they, did, they, did they fake it? And so the, the practical argument just says it's still around today. We hear testimonies of truly miraculous things happening. There's people working in the gifts of the Holy Spirit still today. And the cessationalist would say, well, a Christian that gets healed was, was a couple different things. One, he was either faking it. Two, it was something else that healed him, and he just happened to, to, to give God the glory. Or three, uh, some cessationalist, and, and John MacArthur would actually be one of these, to say that, that God no longer works miracles. So if you see a miracle, a, a true miracle, then it's actually the work of the devil that did it. And to me, that just he doesn't really develop that idea too much. He just kind of says it. And to me, that's like, that gives way too much authority and credit to the evil, to the dark side of things that are, you know, you, you see this miraculous event and you credit it to Satan and not God. That, that just doesn't seem right to me. It seems like in, in the Bible, especially, you see all these examples of someone getting healed and praising God, not giving credit to Satan. It just it seems like a very poor argument um, for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that, they, that all gifts of the Holy Spirit are either fake or or the work of the enemy. So I, I just want to close with this idea that, that sometimes, I heard it say, I, I have a, uh, a sermon prep meeting b- before I, I give these sermons, and Joel Roberts said that he heard the quote that, that we often, as, as modern believers even, we often pray at the altar of medicine far more than the altar of God. And I think we often give credit to, something happens, something miraculous, someone gets healed, we will often give the credit to the doctors instead of all the prayers that were prayed. And, and to me, that's, I mean, it's just a part of our culture. We are very scientific. We are very medically minded. And that's okay. But I think sometimes, you know, if, if you're praying and praying for someone to be healed and they're healed, but they're healed by a surgery, don't you still give God the, the glory and God, and God the credit? I think, I think so. And I think so often there's, there's always room to doubt. And I want to leave you with this story. You could read it later. It's in, Acts, or excuse me, it's in Luke chapter 13, where there's this woman who is, is bent over. She's something wrong with her, her spine, her back, and she's been bent over. It says in Scripture that she's been bent over, kind of paralyzed, crippled for 18 years. And Jesus finds this woman and sees her, and, and he heals her. 
And the immediate reaction of some of those present, the Pharisees' reaction to that is, don't heal on the Sabbath. This woman was just healed. She had been bent over, crippled for 18 years, and your reaction to this miraculous thing is, don't heal on the Sabbath. There was, there's always room for disbelief. Even if you're in plain view of a miracle, even if you're in plain view of these awesome gifts being seen, I think there's always room to doubt. There's always room to give credit to something else other than God. And so I just want to close with that. And uh, I want to invite, Dan- is Daniel Grothy in here? Oh yeah, snuck up on me. Um, we've been having uh, people share their, their testimony of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Last week, Aaron Meadows shared Daniel Grothy's testimony of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is very different. And that's why I asked him to share, to give you some perspective. Maybe his is more like your story of if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you'd say you've, you've gone through that experience. And, and next time, I'm, I'm going to fully explain the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, so stay on board. Ladies and gentlemen, Thank Daniel you. Grothy. Thank you, Yosef. Um, good morning. My story, I grew up uh, in a home. My parents are pastors uh, have been my whole life, and so we were unlocking the doors for people to get into church, and then when people would leave, we would lock them. I mean, we were there all day. Church was what we did, and I always loved it. Grew up, grew up uh, really appreciating my parents' work and and um, loving what they did. And so I was in this really. Car- I came from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Spent 22 years there, and Tulsa's kind of like a. A, a charismatic hub, if you will. There's, I mean, anyone on the charismatic circuit goes through Tulsa. It's like passing through Jerusalem, you know, like you, 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 you have to. And um, so I grew up in, in that world and so saw a lot of that. I mean, that wasn't foreign to me. That was, that was normal. Everyone, everyone spoke in tongues, right? And so um, thankfully my parents were really grounded and really uh, kind of stable. They weren't too high or too low, and they weren't real dramatic with it. It was just something that the Lord had given them uh, to, to bring edification and to, to bring strength. And so um, I don't remember the day that I was baptized with the Holy Spirit uh, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, okay? I don't, re- I don't have a date, you know, May 12th, 19, whatever. I just remember having it. And for me, it's kind of like my salvation. I don't remember the day that I was saved, but I know that I'm saved. Um, and, and so for me, it was, I kind of grew up in it, and I was, I was surrounded by it, and my parents really encouraged us in the Word, and they, they, were, they were teaching us as little kids. I mean, we were memorizing these scriptures as two- and three- and four-year-olds, and, and that's just kind of what we grew up in. And so for me, the, the, the speaking in tongues gift has been something that I've, I've had since I was a, a boy. You know, I remember five, six, seven years old praying in tongues. Uh, I don't remember how I got it, except that I believe that the Holy Spirit sincerely gave it to me. I don't think it was something like a learned, you know, I think some people would try to say, oh, you just learned it. You just watched your parents and you did what you saw. No, I, sincerely, I believe it was a spiritual experience that... that that the Lord gave me. And um, so for me, it was a gradual thing, much like my salvation. Uh, I can't point you to a day when I was saved, but I know that the Lord has rescued me out of darkness. I know that I've been saved, and I know that it happened from a little boy. Um, uh, in my context in Tulsa, there was a lot of public use of tongues from the stage. 
without interpretation. You know, Paul says, don't do it publicly unless someone has an interpretation. Well, publicly is the rule, in, at least where I came from in Tulsa, and without interpretation. Just, just going in tongues from the microphone and let people catch up if they can. You know, people who don't know what's happening, it's just, well, maybe they'll get it. Um, so that's kind, that was kind of one of the things that I was used to. It, you know, preachers would just go off in tongues and, and, and then just keep talking, and then they jump to tongues and keep talking. It's like, where, where are you going? You know, and so it wasn't really ever explained. Um, so I've seen some, if you'll call it, misuse. Um, but I think... I think it's really, really easy to see misuse and to say misuse should equal no use. I think it's really natural to go, for people especially who are skeptical, well, so-and-so is doing that wrong, therefore we shouldn't do it at all, right? And I don't think you throw the baby out with the bathwater like that. Um, I, would, I would challenge you guys, if that's kind of your, your stance, to, to dig to the bottom of that and, and, and see if that's what you're doing. Uh, that would be like me telling my wife, because someone has used sex to rape someone, then we shouldn't have sex, Lisa, because it's totally, uh, it's perverted. Sex is perverted, so we shouldn't do it. <laughs> Not going to happen. Um, no, but you get the point that some people will throw the baby out with the dirty bathwater, right? And, well, because someone's misused it, we should totally stay away from it. Well... You would never say that about the gift of faith. You would never say that about the gift of hospitality. So why do we say that about the gift of tongues? So I would just encourage you guys to really think it through that just because someone, you've seen someone or heard about someone really using this thing in the wrong way, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that they used it incorrectly. And so, um, let's see, what else did I write down? The gift of tongues has helped me embrace the mystery of God. It's, it's helped me open myself up even more to the mystery of God. I will never fully figure him out here. I will never wrap my mind around him. I will never have him, you know, figured out and put in his place. God is God and I am very small and he is huge and he's eternal and he is the only one. And there's a lot that I don't know about him, and I'm going to embrace the mystery rather than run from it or say, well, because I can't figure him out, then he's obviously not a God of reason, and so that means he's confusing, and that means that he's no God because he's confusing. No. It just means he's mysterious. He's much larger than us, and we will never understand him fully in our finite minds. And so the gift of tongues has been a part of, uh, just one small part of me embracing the mystery of God. And so I would encourage you guys to, where, where there is mystery and where there are questions and where there's maybe even like confusion, how does this work? Don't let that make you come to the conclusion that it's not real. I would let it drive you deeper into God. And for me, it's driven me deeper into God. It's, it, it, yes, there are more questions than there are answers, but I want to know him more, not, well, I can't get all my questions answered, so I'm out, you know. I'm going, to go, I'm going to go make math my God because math you can figure out. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to embrace the mystery of God and part of that is, for me, the gift of tongues. Sometimes I, when I'm praying in tongues, uh, personally I'll say, what am I, is this real? Am I wasting my time? Seriously, I have that thought. You know, it's my job. I've been a pastor for five years and this is a part of what I do. And still, sometimes I go, really? Um, 
I'm just being honest. But, but yes, I do, I do know that it's real. But sometimes I go, no, this, this is crazy. <laughs> but okay, God, I'll trust you. And I, I won't be the guy that has to have you figured out and has to have all the answers before I engage you. And so to me, I would encourage you to embrace the mystery that, that you will find in tongues. Open yourself up to it. If you're not open to it, just begin to pry the door. Just make a step. If you're, if you're open to it, make sure you're, you're using it right and not leaving people in the dust with it. Um, but, but all that to say, um, I, I found it super encouraging for me. There have been times when I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I'm, I, Paul says, the Spirit prays. The mind's unfruitful, but the Spirit is interceding to God the Father with words that I can't express. And so I'm going to let the Holy Spirit pray through me, even when I don't understand what's happening. And so um, I don't know, Joe, if that's what you were hoping that's, for. That wow. silver and gold have I none, but that's what I have. Uh, that's, my, that's my story. <laughs> um, I appreciate you guys, and I'm going to turn it over to All Dr. Right. Yosef. Thank Daniel. <laughs> that was good, Daniel. Let's, uh, closing in the, on that note, let's just pray. And Father, we, we do thank you for, for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God, all 20 that we, that we specifically named, God, we, we thank you for them. We ask you to, that you might allow us to grow in some of them. Grow in some of them that, that maybe we, we don't, we've never experienced before, whatever they may be, whether they be prophecy or tongues or whether it's just serving or teaching. God, these are spiritual gifts that you do give to us. God, we ask you for them. God, I pray even now as we're, as we're thinking about this and praying to you that, you, that you'll develop them inside of us, that you'll put something, one of these gifts on our heart, show us which one you want us to grow in, to use, to continue to, to just receive from you. So God, we leave here joyfully, knowing that you do give us gifts and they're awesome and they're, they bring us surprise and joy. So God, we thank you and we love you. We praise you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, people, you're dismissed. If you go over to the main service, Brady's going to talk about tongues. And so <laughs> if, you're, if this is like your first time to New Life, you're going to think we're crazy. And that's because we are. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs>